Yeah, that was my dad's response. Uh, the shellfish are going to cause your gout to flare up. Well, then I guess I'll eat with my feet up there. <laughs> this is our intro. It's perfect. It's, great. it's amazing. Slowdown podcast. We got uh, an extra excited Russ with us today. And wouldn't you know it, it has to do with food. And so we're just going to set the table for Russ to share about this new, <laughs> this new food discovery. He's the new food discovery. Come Russ, on, tell, tell everyone. Talk about food, Russ. I know that's really hard for you. <laughs> it is a hard thing to discuss. It's um, because I'm just not that interested in it. The truth be told, that would be a lie. I'm pretty passionate about food. It's something that I love. It's something that uh, my mom loved to cook. My grandma loved to cook. My dad loved to cook. Um, so just being around food, Sunday dinners were a really big deal. It's just been part of my culture my whole life. As proof of that, can you let them know your um your honorary tattoo for your mom? What it is? Oh yeah, dude. You know, sometimes people get like, you know, those hearts with the mom banner over them. You know, just, you know, shout out to their mom. And I thought about doing that. I'm like, you know what? The thing that would capture my mom more than that would just be like a kick-ass iron skillet. <laughs> so I got one of those tattooed in this really cool spot on my arm. Iron skillet with a big mom banner over it. And so just thinking about iron skillets and the one that I just redid that belonged to my wife's grandma, which we made some killer cornbread in this past week. Little little note here. It did involve bacon grease in the batter. Come on now. Come on. Can't give it away more than that. But yeah, man, I had a meeting in Tampa yesterday, and the glorious news is, uh, from what I've been able to discover, the Nashville hot chicken has made its way to Florida. And amen for this. Woo, woo. Yeah. Yeah, if there was uh, That's like Popeye's or something, right? Nah, no, nah, a little different than Popeye's, which I do love Popeye's. My favorite fried chicken joint, though, as far as the chain goes, will be Bojangles. <laughs> Bro, Bojangles. I had my first Bojangles experience with you, for sure. <laughs> driving to Columbia, South Carolina. Come on. Yeah, we were driving through, and Tony was like, I've never been to a Bojangles. I think I almost caused a wreck, dude, getting off the interstate. <laughs> yeah, which is really, like, impressive because you weren't even the one driving. <laughs> dude, like a Bojangles biscuit, man. Have you ever had a Bojangles biscuit? Like when you when you order them like through a window and you open this thing up, they unwrap like a now later, bro. There's so much butter <laughs> cooked into that biscuit. It's literally like unwrapping a now later, and you get done and there's like this glorious, just crunchy biscuit, dude, just just waiting you. But the Nashville fried chicken has made its way to Tampa, and I got to enjoy that yesterday, and it was pretty glorious. If you're wondering. When you can pull the skin off of your chicken and stand it up on a plate by itself, you've got good fried chicken. That's, that's how you tell, huh? That's, that's not the only way. I mean, there's some other elements. There's a few things we look for. 
So the first thing, you got to break it apart because you got to open it up to eat it because it's hot. If you have to duck because the juice is flying, <laughs> check one. If, if afterwards, right, you, you, know, you, you, you want to definitely be able to have, like, there's got to be spice. There's got to be salty. There's got to be a little savory, hopefully some buttermilk somewhere within the batter. But here's another keynote. Even a little bit of sweetness is good. So you're looking for all those flavors to hit you at once. And then the third immediate check mark is pull off a piece of the skin. If you can build a house with it, you've got some good fried chicken. If you can fix your roof with it, it's a good piece of fried chicken. You oh, got that's, something now. That's, that's that Florida man with the chicken skin roof on his house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude. Dude. Sometimes this is what has to happen, man. So well, big I'm shout out I'm to for you, man. Yeah, a big shout out to Bill Radke, one of uh, you know, new table network, you know, members, leaders. Bill? Bill's in Tampa. He's the one that found this spot. I got to go there with him yesterday. And uh yeah, dude, it was it was it was from Jesus. Jesus was there. So I love that. I love the like the reputation we have because when we travel, people know like, you know, if they host us for dinner or if we're meeting them somewhere, like <laughs> they know they gotta bring their game, dude. Oh, yeah. Like, they can't just, like, you know what I'm saying, like, recommend some spot or just have us over. Like, when we were in California recently at Travis and Jill's. Uh, oh, Mullins, dude. Big shout-out to them. Bro, dude, that tri-tip he made? Dude. Yeah, the tri-tip, you know, on a new grill. Like, he was, you know. So, I love that. I love that we're kind of, like, we definitely have that reputation a little bit. So, just be warned. We're going to put you on blast if you don't bring your A game. So I, I, I'm so excited about this fried chicken, except that I got an issue, man. I'm, mm. I want to be excited about this, but I got something going on in my life right now that's just keeping me from like really rejoicing along with you and being excited about hitting the spot up in Tampa next time I'm out there. And it's, um, I, I recently got a flare up of gout mm. Mm. and you guys Bro, need to you're know in your, you're in your thirties, man. Yeah, I'm in my late 30s, 38, and it's kind of like embarrassing to share this because um, they usually associate gout not with like young, fit per people. You know what I'm saying? Like almost like the opposite of that. <laughs> and um, but here I am, you know, because we're we're about honesty and just being ourselves. So I have gout, and I got gout basically by just maintaining a steady diet of fried foods. Uh, barbecue and alcohol mm, nice so yeah so, man so let me get this straight the doctor wants you to deny the trinity <laughs> <laughs> yeah consumption? all this well i didn't go to a doctor that is kind of like a one like old school piece about me i'm like oh, i'm not going to a doctor <laughs> forget that <laughs> yeah so when you put when you frame it in these terms like yeah dude like i got gout well why'd you get gout well basically i just like eat a lot of like fried foods red meat and i drink a lot of bourbon <laughs> and when you think about it like that as ryan said in the pre-show kind of like an honorary badge of being a table network member is having gout so if yeah, you think about it, if you think about it, I should be excited about my gout. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically Except another that level I can't of walk. membership. That would be the only downside. Yeah. I can't walk. So if you're wondering about what sanctification looks like within the table network, <laughs> you arrived when you have gout. <laughs> but Speaking after you get gout, gout you have to drink a lot of like sour cherry juice eat celery and stay away from 
alcohol, fried foods, and yeah. red meat. So maybe there's just probably a, a, like a joyful balance of good things <laughs> with yeah. with that joyful balance. Uh, as you all go things forward. in moderation, even moderation. Yeah, my dad is uh, retired now. My dad would definitely be one person who loves food as much as I do, and perhaps more. He's a real connoisseur, and we definitely enjoy. You know, we have that together. But he he's got gout pretty bad now, and you know he's in his seventies. And we were at his house recently, and I'm like, Dad, like. And I know you enjoy the whiskey and, you know, I know you love your fried oysters and, you know, and barbecue, but, you know, those things really definitely mess with your gout. And he Oh, said, your dad's got gout. Yeah. <laughs> he said, he said, yeah, you're right. I guess I'm just going to have to eat with my feet up. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So good. Mr. Johnson's my hero. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, though, he has curbed the diet. So, but hey, these are all good things to laugh at and enjoy if you're in Tampa. There is now some Nashville fried chicken there for you. Amen. And speaking of all these things, we're about to dive into part two here, right? This Ephesians 4 conversation of what does it look like to sort of walk in these things that Jesus says, hey, uh, this is who I am. This is what I'm expressing in and through you. Here's what I've invited you into and in some very tangible ways of, of being somebody who's that recruiter evangelist type or being that shepherd, Right individual who's focused on just the health of people and, and, and church families or the teacher that loves wisdom and knowledge. Like these are all from him and things that he's invited us into. And, and we sort of took a chance on our previous podcast on, on this to, to unpack what that looks like, to unpack what those things actually mean in Ephesians 4. What is it? What does the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher mean? Where does it come from? Why does it matter? We definitely saw the connection between right unity and maturity of the church was definitely tied into us walking in these things among one another. Amen. Uh, but from there, we sort of move into this world of, okay, so what about this? And what about this? And get a chance to sort of unpack some of the, some of the questions that we constantly receive in and around like this text, especially in our travels and, and helping people run in these things. Yeah. So in light of that, I think we're just going to frame this podcast in terms of a few questions. So the first thing that, we want to discuss, um, and we've heard this from a number of people, is is this just a conversation designated for the church, those who believe? Or is this a, is this a broader conversation that includes everyone, all of society? Where are we seeing this across the board? Definite question. Definitely a, a good question, one we often hear. And I think something, you know, that we unpack sort of in this, in this study and... Um, that we find to be, in my opinion, something that's just really cool to look at. One of those sort of like aha moments where you just see like just God and his wisdom at work. According to like Genesis, right? We were all created in the image of God. Uh, we, we go to Colossians in, in chapter one, and we find that, that a person within this Trinity, right? Jesus himself, the Christ is the one that made us, the one that um, sustains us, right? The one that's reconciled us. Paul in, in at Acts 17 was telling this, this Areopagus, these, this group of unbelievers at the time, as far as believers in Jesus, that they find their very existence, their very being in him right now. And so I think looking at that, all of a sudden you realize, oh, well, Ephesians 4 is just a picture of who Jesus is and what he's like. He's the perfect apostle, the perfect prophet, the perfect evangelist, the perfect shepherd, the perfect teacher. This is, this is a part of what he, who he is and what he does. And so it would make sense to then look at society and go, well, if all of society was created by him and is sustained by him and finds their very being in him, then I would say we probably see these things at work in people, period, throughout all of society, throughout all of time. 
And really all Ephesians 4 is, is saying that when, when someone awakens to the reality of their existence in Jesus and by faith begins a relationship with God, all of a sudden Jesus sort of takes these things that he's already put in them, things that he's already been expressing through them, and now just aligns them with a kingdom purpose. Hmm. I like I mean, that. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you're wondering where, that, where we're getting that in Ephesians 4, it's in verse 7 where it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift or according to the measure of his ministries, right? This is kind of like he's expressing himself in and through us in these unique ways. Yeah, it's almost like, um, and again, you know, we talk about Ephesians, uh, you know, chapter, what is it, chapter two, you know, he's taken away the sins of the world, Colossians one, he's reconciled us all, right? Everything that he created, he reconciled unto himself, you know, through his, through his body, through his blood. And so just seeing that it would make sense that this, this same Jesus that made everyone has also extended to everyone this wiring of him in and through them. Again, there's the believer that sees it through a kingdom lens, and there's this person who might not believe yet. That's, that's, that's a super salesman, right? <laughs> or saleswoman in the marketplace. It's just, it's just who they are. They're a recruiter to the causes that they're passionate about. It's been in them from day one. And the scriptures would say, yeah, because that's a part of who God is and what he's like that's being expressed in and through you. So think about how cool it is when, when you can point to something that's in someone's life and tie it back to the very maker who put it there. And all yeah, of a sudden they become sure. a believer in Jesus. And yeah, they're still a salesperson in the workforce. And amen. But now they're also somebody who's recruiting people to this glorious cause of what God has done for us all and his son. Mm-hmm. It's um, yeah. one of the coolest things you can look at you know, if, on your own time. Take a look at Myers-Briggs. And what's so neat is you can dig into that and find a direct mirrored lens between Myers-Briggs, these, basically these different types of, you know what I mean? Like personality functions, wirings that are in us, and a direct correlation with Ephesians 4, the wiring of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. It's just there, man. Nice. Good thoughts, man. Yeah, I think the, the other question that we wanted to tackle was, you know, there's some, there's some camps that would just straight up kind of like reject the idea of, apostle, prophet, evangelist still existing. And then there's even some who would say, yeah, they all exist, but they see it more through like a hierarchical lens rather than like a functional, like missional everyday lens. So maybe we can, maybe we can approach the first one. Like, what do we, what are we saying to people out of Ephesians four that are like, yeah, man, I think we have the written scriptures already. Like, I think that there's some things that have happened where like, we don't even need these roles anymore we're just going to define church leadership in terms of like shepherd teacher. Those are the only ones that still apply. Yeah. I would say looking at that, I mean, first the hierarchy thing, right? Only a few people apparently can run on this and everybody else just plays along somewhere as a volunteer. Isn't true because according to what, even what you just shared a minute ago, Tony in the text, uh, this is all tied to what Jesus has done for all. So these wirings have been at work in and through every single person. There's no hierarchy in this. Um, secondly, just to speak to the idea, like, no, no, we have the scriptures now, so we don't really need this, like, apostle, prophet, evangelist role anymore. Like, those things have been replaced. I would say, one, you would have a real hard time finding anywhere to stand on that in the scriptures. And two, we could just go right back to just Ephesians, right? Verse 7, we see these ministries that we're talking about, and we see that they are basically all together in one grammatical unit of speech in the Greek text that they were originally written in. So you can't downplay one of these ministries listed without undermining the significance and the vitality of the others. It's one grammatical unit of speech, 
prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Secondly to that, dude, all this stuff is tied between these verses that we look to in the early part of Ephesians 4, where it talks about unity and maintaining it. And then we look towards the end of the chapter where Paul says, and as we run in these things with each other, we are equipping one another so that we can walk in full maturity, right? So sandwiched between the, the call to maintain unity and the desired, you know, hope for maturity is the role of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher working together. As I run in these things, different elements of ministry happen and everybody around me is equipped to run also in those things. Mm-hmm. If you, if you pull three of, three of the five out of this, please tell me why Paul's saying that, hey, this is all connected to unity and maturity. It's, just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. If the desire is to maintain unity and walk in maturity. You're going to need all these work, working together. And I can say as one who definitely grew up and was formed in ministry in a context that held that you know, position, you know, because we have the written scriptures, you know, there's no need for apostles because that only referred to the original capital A apostles, no need for the function of that anymore. No need for the function of, you know, prophets. Uh, That was in a time when we needed to orally pass on, you know, the written word. And, but you just, a, like for all the points you just brought up, like just the, the, the straight up evidence in the scriptures, but then practically too, like you just saw a lot of just, the things that Jesus invited us into were just absent because the voice of, you know, those, those lowercase a apostles, the ones who had that pioneering spirit, right. To bring the, to bring good news into pockets and places and into people where it wasn't heard and it wasn't believed, you know, or like the heart of like the prophet, you know, like um, always speaking to the gaps. Um, they were more seen as like, um, almost like spiritual irritants. Like they were annoying. They weren't yes men. They were always like bringing up things that we, you know, that were near to God's heart that we should return to. And they were just like, yeah, like, you know, you're not a yes man. Like, you know, get out of here. We just want to just like counsel people and just preach from a pulpit basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true, man. And just think about like, even some of the things that you miss within the midst of this, that you can, that you can take and undermine and, and elevate. And like this idea of the teacher, like, yeah, I'm just a teacher, man. My job is to teach the scriptures, to preach the word. And and it's by doing this, right, that I equip everybody. You know, it's like, no, like according to this text, your main thing isn't to teach everyone. It's to equip everyone else to teach because every single believer has been invited into this life and ministry of Jesus. Every single one of us, right, has been called to baptize, right, to share good news, to be a witness, and to teach others to walk with Jesus, Matthew 28. When you walk in this and equip everybody else to walk in this, like these things happen, but if you're not careful, you'll, right, you'll, you'll miss that whole point of it, elevate it into something else. And all of a sudden, like this teacher shepherd thing becomes everything. And right, the prophet gets pushed out, as you were just saying, the apostle, right, pioneering spirits no longer needed. We don't really need recruiters to the cause. We've got these places set up on Sundays at 11. You know, they're sufficient. Oh, wait. So equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that's like, that doesn't refer to like hospitality teams of like shaking people's hands, coming into services and like handing bulletins out and finding you a chair. If you're late to service. No, I would just say that's just called being kind. (laughs) (laughs) There's one thing I always say. We're not knocking that. We're just saying like, I think there's something like a pretty, like a little bit cooler that we're invited into. Yeah. Something much, much more. Instead of equipping them to do that, just say, Hey, why don't you be kind and help people that you don't know find a seat. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, I'm going to teach you how to teach those around you to walk with Jesus. That's good stuff. man. So you can teach. Like there's just so much beauty in it. Yeah. 
So um, I think we really only have time to dive into one more question in depth, but really, really quick, because I want to touch on this. So let's just, let's just like quickly just talk about it. Yeah. Um, what about the mention of gifts in first Corinthians and Romans along with Ephesians? They seem to be like competing lists. How are we seeing how they all connect? Yeah, that's a good one. The way that I've been able to dig into this myself is just taking a hard look at like Romans 12, first Corinthians 12, um, in correlation with Ephesians four, right? This main text that we've been talking about on this podcast and the one before. And I think what we have to first note is that they all sort of are prefaced when we look at them in the scriptures from a, from a different word. In other words, like there's a different word within the Greek language that's used there to frame the nature of what follows these things. So in Ephesians four, uh, the word literally that we, that we use as gifts actually means ministries or calling. It's something that's tied to our, or to someone's actual identity versus something that they do. So Paul doesn't say uh, in Ephesians 4 that some were, were given for, for teaching and some were given for evangelism or, you know, whatever that might be, right? Or for pioneering. Instead, he says they were, they were evangelists, right? Prophets, you know, apostles, teachers. So again, it's identity. It's, it's something of who we are versus something that we do. And the word actually means ministry, we're calling it. It doesn't mean it's not a word of gift. Then you go to like Romans 12 um, and the word that you find there that's framing that is the word praxis, which seems to be associated with like practical activities carried out by the members of a church family. Or you go to first Corinthians 12 and you find a different word that's used there that's associated with the gifts that are used in a sense, like the gathering of the church. So it's almost like the Lord saying, yeah, like when the church gathers, there's these things that I've done in and through these people. And like when, and then there's a sort of function of the church outside of that, that I've, that I've put these gifts in and through the body, right, to walk in. And, of course, they're all just pictures of Jesus because they're all just fruit of him at work in and through us. Galatians 2, this isn't something that we put on like a jetpack and, right, make happen. Um, but I think just looking at it through that lens, Ephesians 4, identity, the word literally means ministry or calling. It's who we are. And over here we have, like, different things that we might do in season and out of season. They're two different things. Yeah, it seems like First Corinthians 2 is focused on like when we gather and then that Romans, you know, is like more like how we're like serving, you know, each other. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I think that that was like a really helpful thing for me in discovering that identity piece. But the thing that I want to close out with, which I think is more important, or I think like, I shouldn't say more important, but definitely important. Um, especially in a church culture and church leaders that are in search for a magic bullet and to think and to view um, any new thing coming down the pipe as a thing to grab onto that's going to like fix their church and fix people and finally um, just empower like everyday people to just kind of like do the things that we ultimately want to see. How weighty is this conversation? How vital is it to the mission Jesus has invited us into? And what are the ways that we're seeing that people are putting too much weight into this conversation? Mm. Yeah, dude, there's definitely some weight out there. I know I had felt it in the past, probably found myself really studying this thing inside and out because I was really in search of this as like, man, this is the magic bullet. This is what we've been missing. This is the piece that we haven't really been carrying out there the way we need to. So I don't, I don't want to undermine, you know, naturally the text. I think it's just important to remember that Paul is offering, Paul's offering the, you know, the, the, the church spread throughout, you know, Ephesus here in this book, a mirror, not a map. 
So it's not like he goes there and he unpacks all this and he hands them like these riddles that they need to conquer and these ladders they need to climb around this Ephesians 4 thing and then turns them loose with this map so they can go and like have this magic bullet to cure everything. Instead, he's just riding back to a church that's been naturally walking in the wiring that Jesus has put in, in them and is carrying out and expressing through them. And so it's, like, it's so important to always come back to the, to the fact that we live and dwell in him. So all this can be, as a, as a people who are a branch that can do nothing, all this is is a work of the vine being expressed through the branch. That's it. Yeah. Let's not complicate this. Let's not turn it into something that, you know what I mean, that's all super spiritual and of us. This is the vine expressing himself through the branch. And Paul's offering these people really just a mirror to say, hey, guys, here's some language that you can have. To, to put together in and around the things that you've been walking in naturally because it's just what Jesus is doing in and through you. Let me encourage you to keep walking in this because it's in doing so that you equip and build each other up in maturity to obtain the unity that Jesus has already brought. Yeah, that's so, good. Man, just like don't, don't overcomplicate this. Don't over-spiritualize it. Don't turn it into a magic bullet. Don't make it a map and turn people loose in hopes that they can, right? They can get it figured out and, and arrive like it's, you know, like there's some like treasure chest that's out there that's hidden. I mean, we're, it's, it's, we're not the Goonies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let's, let's, not, let's not turn this into that. This isn't the missional code to finally unleash, right? All this like movement. Um, but, you know, I'd throw a bigger stone at it if, you know, like you said, I didn't see that in myself, you know, back in the day and, I mean, I just, I think good news has become familiar news to us and we're moving on from one shiny thing to the next. Yep. Really the most important thing is what we're saying about God's inexhaustible, right? Love and acceptance is indiscriminate acceptance for broken people. Um, that's the most important thing. So when that becomes familiar um, or when we buy into the idea of like success and ambition and all that, then man, these magic bullets they they're very appealing yeah yeah because i mean you can easily become the smartest guy in the room right you know passing these songs you know these things on and you know you got people that are that are gathering around and they're they're taking every note they can reading everything they can they're working like crazy behind the scenes to map this thing out so i don't want to discourage anyone from looking to ephesians 4 i think it's for a beautiful sure. passage i think there's some really cool insights in there for us but let's just let's just see it for what it is it's a it's a mirror that offers us some language around the things that Jesus has been doing in us since birth. And we find some freedom to just run in it. And I think we find some clarity on, oh, okay. So me running in this isn't about me being like the master evangelist. It's about me equipping everybody else and how to pass on good news to those they love because mm. Jesus made them witnesses. That's what this is. Yep. And to always remember, I've always connected this to Galatians 2.20 in my mind and my heart, at least, you know, we've been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the yeah. life I now live. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and is expressing himself in and through me in a particular way. So I don't need to, you know, be somebody other than who he's made me to be. I don't need to have ministry envy. I don't need to be farther along than where, I, where I'm at. If I'm an immature evangelist at times, I can confess that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, if, I'm, if, man, if I'm really bearing fruit in that, I can enjoy that and celebrate that and be thankful and grateful. Um, so I think there's just a lot of just, there's a lot of good like health and maturity and just seeing 
Um, this isn't like some code, you know, to break or something to master, but rather yeah. just like a person who's expressing himself in and through us to enjoy and a ride and a journey to enjoy. That's it, man. And I think if we can just leave it there, there's some really cool and beautiful things that can happen in and through us in the lives of the people who are in and around us. Love it. So that concludes this conversation on Ephesians 4, the conversation of Apest, what it is, what it isn't, what it looks like, how to walk in it, how not to confuse it, and definitely how not to turn it into something that can actually undo it. And helpful tools to discover whether or not you're eating good fried chicken and to also watch the levels of uric acid in your body so that you don't end up with gout as you enjoy fried foods, barbecue, and bourbon. Amen, dude. Until next time. Till next time.